Hi, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you are listening to our podcast, The Nature of Nantucket. I am here today with Emmy Wise and August Muller, and we are talking about their trip to Hawaii to the Keck Observatory. And August and Emmy are our postback fellows here at the Mariah Mitchell for this year. They have a one-year fellowship with us, and we are excited to speak with them a little bit about their upcoming trip, their projects that they're working on, and a special talk that they're giving for the MMA on Monday. So let's start with one of you jumping in and telling us about the Keck Observatory. Yeah, sure. So the Keck Observatory is one of many observatories that's on the Mauna of Mauna Kea in the big island of Hawaii. It was finished in the late 1990s, and it's been one of the premier kind of optical wavelength telescopes. So measuring the types of light that we can see with our eyes kind of on the entire planet ever since its its, its um, completion. So the Keck Observatory consists of two telescopes. And you can observe on one or both of them at the same time, depending on the scientific needs of your project. They have slightly different instruments, so we can measure kind of slightly different science depending on if you're using Keck 1 or Keck 2. And in general, it's one of the kind of primary telescopes that's used, especially in, with observers that are affiliated somehow with the University of California system or any of the institutions of higher learning in California and kind of the Western United States. They are the the primary time delegated people of that telescope. Yeah, so that's how we are able to get access to these telescopes and how we get to go. Um, This is a very exciting and interesting trip for us, both as young researchers. We've um, never gotten to observe using telescopes of this magnitude, and we're very lucky to have collaborations with the UC system that we're able to kind of hop on their projects that we are also involved with to get this time there. Mm -hmm. So what do, walk us through a little bit about what what type of observing and really maybe what type of research does an experience at Keck really add to, right? Yeah, so while we're there, we're both going to be working on projects that are related to the collaborations that we're involved with. Um, So for me, my collaboration is called Mangoes, and we study very, very young early galaxies in the early universe, um, and we study their chemical composition. So for my collaboration, we will be using one of the instruments on one of the telescopes um, that will allow us to search for more information about these types of galaxies. Um, We know a lot about the gas composition and the... um, the source from which we can see these galaxies that we don't know a lot about the galaxies themselves. We see um, we see them in the intervening gas from a brighter background source. And so the project that I'll be working on while I'm there with my group is looking for the actual host of these sources of gas. Um, so that's a little bit about mine. And then August will be joining a couple of days later and we'll both be working on a project for her collaboration 
For sure. Yeah. So I'm part of the Fast and Fortunate for Fast Radio Burst follow-up collaboration. It's a bit of a mouthful. We abbreviate that to F4. Um, And this collaboration is actually looking for the host galaxies of Fast Radio Bursts. So these are these super short duration radio bursts. They're like a thousandth of a second in duration, and they come usually from outside of our galaxy. And they're super weird. This is like a big mystery in astronomy right now to figure out where exactly these things come from and what exactly produces them. And so my collaboration is studying these galaxies that these signals come from. And we're using the Keck spectrograph called Deimos. Uh, this is a very large instrument on Keck 2, the second and slightly newer of the two Keck telescopes, to study basically the chemical abundances in these host galaxies in order to determine basically where they are in their kind of galactic life cycle, as well as kind of the amount of dust and gas in these galaxies and some other things that can allow us to sort of unpack what exactly is happening where these fast radio bursts are forming. Okay. Um, And in terms of these projects that you all are working on, you started them when you arrived here for your fellowship. So you knew in advance that these were going to be your projects. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Okay, great. And you have other collaborators besides Dr. Jorgensen. Yes, yes. yes. Me, for so, mangoes, go ahead. For mangoes, we're collaborated um, specifically with um, Space Telescope Science Institute and Johns Hopkins University, um, and then UC Santa Cruz in part. And then for FRB, you guys are... Yeah, the, the F4 collaboration is a bit wider reaching. We have, again, UC Santa Cruz collaborators, as well as at Northwestern University, mm-hmm and actually kind of other collaborators around the globe. So in Chile and Australia and a number of other locations as well. Okay. And are are you there like with your other collaborators or are you guys just going there on your own? Yeah, so the way that- Like how does that work? (laughs) Yeah, it's a little confusing. So the way that these observing runs work is so someone from our collaboration, um, probably the principal investigator um, has submitted a proposal in advance to this specific telescope with the specific instruments specified that we want to use. And you have to detail the objects or the sources you want to look at. You have to detail how many hours of telescope time you need, um, like what time of year these objects are up in the night sky, um, kind of things like that. And you put together a really in-detail report and you send it off to the committee and a collection of your faculty, your peers and other faculty members around the country and around the world review these reports. They're on a um, committee for this and they prioritize and approve certain proposals. And if you get approved, you get assigned certain nights to complete your observing. Um, And with Keck in particular, it's kind of special. So a lot of astronomy does not really happen. Like astronomers don't necessarily have to go to telescopes to observe anymore. Oftentimes you can do it remotely from the comfort of your own home or your own research center. or you just get sent the data file once it's been observed for you by the telescope operator. Keck is special in that you are able to still go observe in person. Um, So we will be there with a couple of different people from each of our collaborations that will kind of switch off halfway through the time that we're there. So we get to meet a lot of people from both Mango's collaboration and F4 um, in the couple of days that we're there, which will be really fun because we've met them over Zoom a lot, but not in person yet. That's great. That is great. All right. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why 
the Keck really is one of the most important observatories to astronomers. I mean, I know that there's a few others, but it's definitely up there in the top five. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the kind of really important things that it comes down to, the main metric actually when determining kind of the functionality of a telescope is the diameter of the primary lens or mirror, the primary optical piece, right? And so here at Lines Observatory on Nantucket, our largest telescope is two feet in diameter, um, which is pretty big for like a small scale observatory like we have here. But just for some frame of reference, the Keck telescopes each are a little over 32 feet in diameter. They're 10 meter telescopes. So having this really ginormous primary mirror allows us to see way farther into space than with these smaller grade telescopes that are a lot more abundant. Um, and so just in particular, this kind of feat of engineering, as well as the really dark sky that you get on Mauna Kea, right? Um, it's one of kind of two, it's sort of the Northern Hemisphere premier observing location right now. So it's really hard to find good dark skies that also have oftentimes really good weather to put in an observatory. There's a lot of considerations that go into this. Um, and so between the Atacama Desert in Chile and Mauna Kea on Hawaii, those are kind of the southern and northern hemisphere equivalents of these kind of ideal observing locations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have either of you been to Hawaii before? I've been very briefly, but definitely not for anything scientific or anything like that. So very excited to actually experience um the location and all it has to offer in, in a more intimate setting. That's great. Very excited for both of you. Um, let's talk a little bit about your projects, right? Because we touched on them a little, and I know that you're giving a talk on them on Monday. And, you know, what, let's start with Emmy and Mangoes. Mm -hmm. And can you give us like a little bit of an overview of your project? Uh, I know we just had the question about it, but like give us a broader overview and about what someone might learn if they came to your talk on Monday. Of course. So my collaboration, like I've said, is called Mangoes. And we are primarily interested in studying evolution of galaxies throughout cosmic time. So we want to put together a story, a timeline of the history of the universe and how specifically the universe has become more chemically enriched over time. And we can look at this by using galaxies. Um, but galaxies, when you look really, really far into space, which is equivalent to really, really far back in the history of the universe, become really faint. And so we're not able to get as much information about these really, really far away galaxies. Um, so we have to find a trick to be able to observe these because we can't observe them necessarily directly. Um, so instead of looking at them directly, we use a really, really bright background source called a quasar, which is an actively accreting supermassive black hole at the center of a galaxy. And these are one of the brightest sources in the universe. And so we can see these objects at really, really far away distances. And what happens with these and how we use them as a trick is oftentimes there will be a cloud of gas or a really baby, tiny galaxy, not tiny in size, but tiny in age, um, in between the quasar and us on Earth or our telescopes on Earth. And the really, really bright light coming from the quasar interacts with that cloud of gas or that young galaxy. And we are able to pick up information in our analysis and how we observe these really, really bright background sources about that cloud of gas, about that really young galaxy. Um, so we use these and they're called damped Lyman alpha systems which is a really complex name and has a really convoluted meaning but um, that is their scientific name and so we're able to use these damped Lyman alpha systems to put together that timeline that we were talking about of how the universe and galaxies have become more chemically enriched over time and how they become how they've evolved from 
kind of their birth because galaxies much like humans are are born and they live a life cycle and they don't necessarily die we don't really know much about that if they do die but they do have life cycles and so they do evolve and change much like humans do so we're really interested in looking at that yeah that's me that's awesome that's awesome and august what about you yeah for sure so i'm looking a lot into in my personal research as part of the F4 collaboration, obviously the host galaxies of where fast radio bursts come from. And just a quick overview, fast radio bursts, there are signals in the radio, so we don't observe them optically. You have to have a radio telescope to see them. They are a small fraction of a second in duration, so very brief and extremely energetic. So about a billion times the amount of energy that the sun puts off in that same amount of time is how strong these signals are. It's really crazy. And so we're basically trying to figure out the mystery of FRBs. These weren't discovered until after the turn of the century. So the fact that we even know that they exist at all is a very kind of new discovery. And we're really putting in the work to figure out what exactly these things are and what they can also tell us about our un- about our universe that we're living in. And so something in particular that we're studying with this is something called the cosmic web, where in fact, there is a lot of matter out there in the universe that you can't see, even with the best telescopes. It's just too diffuse. It's just hot gas out there in space, um, not really near anything that's producing light that it's interacting with. And so we've really struggled in astronomy to be able to find this material. We know it should be out there, but we haven't really been successful at locating where exactly it is or the structures exactly that it forms. And so something in the past... Uh, let's say three years or so, some big discoveries that have come out are actually using fast radio burst signals to map this kind of invisible matter of our universe and figure out exactly how we can learn about our local structure and where all of this missing matter has gone. Now, the MMA has been involved with fast burst radio stars for a while. Yeah, so... We've been, we've actually had postbacs studying this subject for, I think, five years now mm-hmm. um, and kind of watching the field evolve, which has been a very exciting thing to be involved in. And I would say basically since her graduate degree, Dr. Jorgensen has been involved with DLAs and then upon the discovery of fast radio bursts and kind of the formation of this collaboration, she's really kind of been educating students of here at the MMA and undertaking you know, advising research projects as as long as it's been around. So very exciting stuff. Yes, specific too. I think so too, because the the MMA also has a another long-term project that they've been working on for a number of years, I think. And, and I'm thinking that the fast burst radio stars could be associated with that project as well, right? Kind of was, it gave birth to it, so to speak. <laughs> Anyway, um, so how have you how have you been doing on Nantucket? <laughs> have you been settling in? Yeah, we're doing really good. We've gotten into a good routine with our work and our coworkers. It's really fun to be here on Nantucket. Of course, it's a very special place to live. I think we've gotten quite involved in the community. We often go to different events at the library and kind of other places around, which has been really fun to meet more local people and see what see what's on the island what the island has to offer good that's good and for folks who are listening we are hosting this 
talk on Monday in our research center at 4.30. You can sign up or find more information on the MMA's website. And we are super grateful to both of you for your time and expertise. And if you are listening, you can catch August and Emmy also doing the Star Report on 97.7, which they do every week, talking a little bit about what's happening in the skies of Nantucket. We much appreciate that you do that for us. And we'll see you at the talk on Monday. If you've been listening, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association. I am with August Muller and Emmy Wise, who are postback fellows at the Mariah Mitchell Association, and we thank them. Thank you. Thank you.